You there, bud? I'm here. Very good. And you know what? What's that? You don't need to worry this time. I'm a little drunk, so it's going to be a better recording oh, for sure. Good. Yeah. Washington, Washington, six foot eight, weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington, Washington. Yeah, we had a little bit of a an incident there, didn't we, bud? Yeah, what incident? Oh, um, the fact that we have to do an episode 3.5. Oh, well, everybody likes decimal points, <laughs> especially when it's 2.0 or some shit like that. You know, when the, the point oh doesn't count. This is actually probably more of like a 3.69, I think. Sure. Because we were almost done. I think what happened is... We ran out of time, so we didn't get to your portion of the recording talking about the French and Indian War. You probably had to go do some sex stuff. Maybe. It's a possibility. I probably did, too. <laughs> Just kidding, Mom. JK. Does your mother listen? Oh, I hope not. I hope she does. I don't think that my parents know what podcasts are. I hope they do. I'm going to send your mom a link. You don't know my mom. You don't know that. That's true. So anyway, yeah. The French and Indian War. Well, so here's where we ended. We we ended talking. Well, should we do an intro? And Should we do a quick intro? No, fuck it. Let's just do it live. Doing 3.5 live. Copy that. So basically what happened where we ended, uh, Braddock was being run over in the road right after they tried to assault Fort Duquesne. Okay. Braddock and Washington assaulted Fort Duquesne. You know, Washington had to go like 12 hours and fetch the supply train, bring it back. They run over his body. And then we talk about the rest of the French and Indian War. Which is just very fun. Fascinating. So we, we have already talked about the Fort Necessity and all that. So we're in the early, the first two years of the war. France is, is kicking, kicking ass on in the North American theater. So by the way, this is definitely the French and Indian war is part of a, a much larger conflict. The, the events that kicked off the French and Indian war, they also began the seven years war, which, you know, math be damned was between <laughs> 1754 and 1763. It's my favorite part. So this is, this is just a theater in a much larger global conflict. It's almost like actually the first world war, I guess. I think that you could consider it. I think Winston hurt Winston Churchill would call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, we just didn't use the term war, world war until the second world war. And you know, it's not, it's not fair to blame siete años de guerra <laughs> on 
wash doggy dog, but he did more or less set it off. He did. He triggered that thing. Yeah. So it's he it's shot the messenger. Fun. He totally shot. Yeah. The messenger. He literally shot the messenger. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of fun to to blame a world war on his very first military command. <laughs> He's like twenty one. You got to give him some slack, I guess. So yeah, that's what set him up. This is what started him to become the shoe-in for commander of the Continental Army later on. So at this time, the French are, they're kind of wetting their tights. Their dominance in Europe and in North America is sort of slipping away. And the British are just kicking their ass on the sea. They're taking their their ships. So they gather up as, as many allies as they can to combat the rise of Great Britain. So it's going to be, you got your Spain, you got your France, you got Russia, and you have a bunch of other smaller European tribes or what have you versus England, tea and crumpets, Prussia, and some smaller states in what later became Germany. In the end, Great Britain is on the winning side, and it's ended by the, what was it called? The Treaty of Paris, yes. which was signed between... Great Britain, France, and España. That's, I think that's a good summary of the larger conflict. Yeah. You know, sort of the First World War with, and okay, a nine-year war called the Seven-Year War, which was really more of a, a century-long conflict between France and Britain. Lots of Game of Thronesy shit going down. Lots of uh, allies and broken promises and some treaties and some marriages. And there you have it. Boom. There it is. Seven years war. Seven minutes. That was a good seven minutes. I hear that a lot. Do you know? Yeah. We should, we should probably but talk looking, about that. Shut up. But looking towards the, the North American front, I guess we can call it, what France has at the time is the area from Louisiana, present-day Louisiana, the bayou, up the, what would it be called, the Mississippi Basin. Yeah. Sort of up through the Ohio Valley, the Great Lakes, and Canada. Canada. Canada, eh? And some parts of what's northern Spain now, Nova Scotia. Uh, I hate that I say, uh, it's okay. I edited it out, <laughs> but the, this area around the Ohio Valley and into modern day, Eastern Pennsylvania, I mean, there weren't really like a border. There's no toll booths. There are no roads. Yeah. Where they're going, they, there just aren't roads. So. You know, you have the French, they're getting their their ships taken. Judai. Are moving west, and they want some of that sweet, sweet Ohio country. And the French are like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck you. This is, uh, we're going to build, start building some forts around here. And I can't recall. I think uh, the first fort that kind of rubbed the British wrong was Prescott Isle, which is, I think, 
Erie, Pennsylvania now. Does that sound about right? I think you're correct. And yeah, I had a couple, added a couple more forts until eventually, like we've covered, bam, uh, Washington shows up in the Pittsburgh area, the Three River area. And there's, oh, oh, there's a, a French fort, Fort Duquesne. And uh, it's time to execute some messengers. What do you think about that? Well, I think they uh, executed that messenger a little bit before they found Fort Duquesne. This was slightly before that. Um, you might be right. You may be right. I may be crazy. But maybe I both. think that... I think that they discovered Fort Duquesne and then decided they needed to build a fort of their own in the swamp. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're I think you're very right. Either way. Did you see the email I sent you, by the way? No, did you send me something? I did. I sent you your script. Oh, I have a script. Well, yeah, this is like you have like a whole portion that you were supposed to read that we didn't actually get to. I have no recording of it in our recording. We said goodbye before we read this. Oh, I thought we were just winging this. <laughs> I mean, we've been doing really good so far. I want to, I want to make sure we get the points about specific, the specificities of George Washington in here. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to take off now. So far, wash doggy dogs, military, military career looks like a mess. He's like Jeb Bush. He's a big fat mess. And there's <laughs> there's been a lot of learning the hard way, both as a result of his own inexperience. You know, he's young, his miscalculation and the failures of Braddock, as well as the mishandling by the crown, by the colonial governor governors. It's understandable, in my opinion, that George Washington was questioning whether or not to suspend his military career. In fact, we have accounts that he's about to resign when he gets wind that the crown is ready to commit more troops to the effort at Fort Duquesne. 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 Mm-hmm. And in early 1758, this Ohio Valley campaign is going to see seven thousand more British troops under a new commander in Brigadier General John Forbes magazine. <laughs> and the Virginia Assembly is going to double its commitment of men as well. John Forbes magazine is going to follow the pattern we've been seeing of viewing colonial officers as inferior to them. As, you know, the broken innkeepers, horse jockeys, and Indian traders. Just savages. Just dirty, filthy colonials. Yeah. I've probably mentioned that they're dirty horse jockeys before. But Washington is going to once again show how political he can be. We're slowly chipping away at the modern view that he was never a politician he was a man of great stature to impress, to get on his side as he climbed the ladder of colonial prestige and power. So what does he do? He writes to the, the other officers, basically asking them to, hey, buddy, uh, can you put a good word for me? 
in for me with uh, Forbes magazine, and it sort of works. It works so well that he becomes the number one broken innkeeper, horse jockey, and Indian trader in the eyes of of Forbes magazine. (laughs) He gets placed in charge of the newly doubled Virginia forces. In a relatively short amount of time, Washington's desire to resign is hardly a memory. It was just a memory. It's just another bullet that misses its mark. It whistles past the head of American history, if you will. But it is around this time that he makes another bid for the seat in the House of Burgesses, three years after his failed attempt. Much like his defeat, he's going to run for office remotely. But this time, he's George friggin' Washington that we know. He's popular enough in Frederick County to have a chance, even as an absentee candidate. He wins in a landslide. And I should note, each voter gets two votes. And the two candidates with the most votes become first and second Burgess. Washington ends up with 309 out of 397 possible votes with the second place candidate getting 240. It was a much more successful outcome than his first time around. Definitely. And we do have to mention that Washington did engage in the somewhat common practice of supplying voters with booze in order to curry favor. You know, you get them wasted. It doesn't sound like a legal practice, but he ends up providing 40 40 gallons of rum. Rum punch. Yeah. 34 gallons of wine. Three pints of brandy. I wonder who the brandy was for. Three pints. Jesus. 13 (laughs) gallons of beer. Eight quarts of cider. I'm assuming that's hard hard cider. That's That's a fair amount of booze for 309 votes. That's a pretty good party. Worth it. Totally yeah. worth it. And so while his uh, boozing political career begins to thrive back at home, Washington had hit a bump in the road on the campaign trail. He was unable to convince Forbes to adopt the Braddock route to Fort Duquesne. Instead, Forbes chose a route that would go through Pennsylvania, you know, and they're literally paving a road through Pennsylvania. Braddock's route would have been to the economic advantage of Virginia and the future commerce with the Ohio territory because it would go through Virginia, but their new route would only benefit Pennsylvania, which is, you know, and if you're a historian, you know that Pennsylvania and Virginia are two totally different things. Far apart. And Forbes, he viewed, Washington's insistence of a Virginia route to be that of a, you know, a pouty child and a conflict of interest, which I think is fair to say he, so he's losing points with Forbes. He's, he's learning these rookie political lessons the, the hard way again. And look, Forbes is a veteran officer from Scotland he doesn't really give a shit about Virginia's commerce interests in Ohio. He probably doesn't even want to be in North America. So when Washington initially fails to persuade Forbes to take the Braddock route, he is going to 
try to go over Forbes' head. He tells Speaker Robinson about the situation, quote, well, then our injured country passed by such abuses, I hope not, rather let a full representation of the matter go to his majesty. Let him know how grossly <laughs> his honor and the public money has been prostituted, end quote. So damn, th- George. George like, Washington has a big pair of peaches down there. Yeah, damn. Shit. And it's going to, he's going to gain points with uh, his fellow Virginians. It kind of starts this uh, large nutted, large handed Virginian <laughs> myth that is probably only six foot tall, but people will say he's six foot eight or whatever. But it really looks bad in the higher political circles. British people don't like this shit. But by some miracle, Forbes assigns Washington with three brigades for the assault of Fort Duquesne. Maybe in hopes that he catches a stray musket ball. You know, maybe this is... Probably, yeah. George Washington cannot die in combat. Or perhaps taking into account that this is a young, dumb, colonial upstart horse jockey, and he sort of just brushes it off the insult like uh, a mosquito that doesn't have malaria. And then on the way to Fort Duquesne, Forbes sends hundreds of Virginians ahead to intercept an enemy. It wasn't long before they start to hear musket fire. Assuming that the Virginians were under attack, Forbes sends Washington with hundreds more Virginians. These are all Virginians. How dumb are Virginians? (laughs) In order to reinforce the party they assumed was under attack. Washington and his men soon fall under gunfire. You know, you're sneaking up on on your countrymen. You don't exactly have uniforms on. And they return with their own muskets only to discover that it's all friendly fire, resulting in 14 dead and 26 wounded. Oops. Whoopsies. It's unclear whether or not Washington had sent a messenger ahead, which is like even playing Age of Empires, you got to send a messenger ahead to to warn the first group of Virginians that reinforcements were coming. Don't shoot. You're not surrounded by engines. And he claims that he did. It's whether or not you want to take his word for it or if he's just like fucking up and trying to cover his own ass. Well, that's not the first time he would like probably go down to his grave having made some mistakes and he'll just never admit that he's done these things. Oh, deny, deny, deny. And it sounds like the first group thought that they were being ambushed. Just, uh, I'm no Napoleon, but either way, these types of mishaps had become a pattern in his travel to Fort Duquesne a couple of times now. <laughs> and these, <laughs> these events go back. <laughs> to stick with Washington and he's going to reflect on them for the rest of his life and maybe lie about him his whole life. Maybe not. Probably. Then in November of 1758, the Indians desert, not the good kind of desert, the French and the French are ready to abandon Fort Duquesne and the larger contests, this like towards the end of the seven years war, the first couple years the french were pretty dominant but you just can't fuck with that british navy why is it that you think that the indians decided to leave the french oh i don't know no speculation on that because they smelled bad or maybe they saw that the british were winning and they realized that they would uh, maybe need to work with them a little more closely than they originally anticipated 
So all of a sudden you're dumping the current ally that you have so that you can go buddy buddy up with the person that's probably going to win. Yes, this makes sense. Yeah. Yes, yes. Very good. I do that never because I'm always on the winning side. Fair enough. So yeah, they abandon Fort Duquesne, modern Pittsburgh, and this comes as a surprise to the British and colonial forces. They pretty much just found the fort abandoned and burned one day, then marched to the pile of ashes and renamed it Fort Pitt. So (laughs) there you go, Pittsburgh. That's why you're not called Duquesnesburg. <laughs> it's true though, but, but you they, do have they, Duquesne they, University. There's Duquesne everywhere. Oh yeah. There's still a very large Duquesne presence there. I know. I lived there before. Oh yeah. That's the extent of Washington's military career during the French and Indian War. A series of blunders over a five year period finally result in the taking of the Ohio Ford. It's all he needs on his resume for the impending Revolutionary War. He resigns his post, heads back to the affairs of Mount Vernon, and his political career in Virginia. Yes. As as this leg of his his military career comes to a close, his old pal, that old mofo, dysentery, makes another visit. Uh Uh-oh. Poopy pants. So he was probably having poopy problems during the campaign, but it gets worse that December. We're reminded of how shitty things were before science-based medicine was a thing. Vaccines. (laughs) Stuff like that. You know. You know. Things that people are fighting against now. Vaccinations. (laughs) Let's bring dysentery back. (laughs) It definitely shows how stupid people are when they subscribe to the idea that nature equals healthy and good. Doctor, wait, no, sorry, not doctor. David Avocado Wolf. Mm. Three words. Yeah, it's it's trendy to drink snake oil again. So, folks, take it. I wish it was trendy to do cocaine again. (laughs) It will be. Oh, boy. We're making America great again. So, folks, take it from Washington, your beloved first president. Listen to your 2016 or 17 or 18, or we might might be listening to this podcast for decades to come. Listen to those doctors and hope they're halfway decent at writing the correct prescriptions. And uh, vaccinate your little offspring. For Christ's sake. Jesus is vaccinated. <laughs> I say please. this with love. Vaccinated. I'll get off that soapbox, that science-based soapbox. The reaction to Washington's resignation tells us for certain that he is pretty popular with the Virginians now. It's the silver lining of the campaign. A campaign where nothing was easy. He struggled through the experience with Forbes didn't get his way, learned some important political lessons, and ended it with inveterate disorder in his bowels. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he's gained popularity that would make him the military leader of the colonies in the Revolutionary War to come. I always find it fascinating 
to look at history and see all the things that lined up just right to form the narrative we have. It certainly paints a pretty picture. Yeah. And all the what ifs you can come up with, the alternate routes and endings. For one example, just imagine a timeline where Great Britain takes stock of this popular colonial officer and decides to carefully court him to their advantage. Maybe there was nothing they could do to sway his true blue loyalty to Virginia and his countrymen. But what if? And certainly we'll find out Washington was no military mastermind. He's not going to affect the outcome of the Revolutionary War quite like an Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan would have. But Washington is just enough. He's just enough to inspire his countrymen. Right. Yeah. He knows just enough about the British fighting style in North America. He's going to keep the head of the colonials above water with his large hands. And it's going to be just enough to make the French okay with entering the conflict. So in my humble opinion, it is as much a mistake to take the completely cynical view of Wash Doggy Dog as it is to take the mythical view of him. The United States, for better or worse, probably doesn't make it without Wash Doggy Dog. And I've been thinking about which NFL quarterback to compare him to for you sports heads out there. And the first one I think about is Jake Cutler. He's a longtime starting quarterback. He's a quarterback with diabetes, like George Washington is a military commander with diarrhea. There's no way he gets to the Super Bowl on his own talent. He's going to need a great supporting cast to get him there. So really, he's more like Peyton Manning's last season, kind of. But maybe, and we'll find out later, George Washington is the Jake Cutler of presidents. That's my conclusion. And that's a good place to swap. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Just one real quick thing before we wrap it up. So something that we're not going to get to before the next episode, since we're kind of doing a between episode at this point, I did want to talk about how when the seven year war ended with the Treaty of Paris in 1763, the French had limited involvement then at this point in all their theaters of war, which included the Caribbeans, Africa, India, and the Americas. So when they left, that pretty much opened up the doors for the English to pretty much do whatever they wanted in the Americas, in the colonies. The French were moving out and the British were pretty much in charge. So same thing with Spain. They're going to, British are going to take Florida after winning essentially the seven years war. Right. So So Spain's done. France is done. They're kind of like shriveled balls in the middle of winter. And now the Americas are ripe for the picking. Now, again, King George issues the Royal Proclamation of 1763, which bans the colonists from settling west of the Alleghenies. However, a lot of the colonists started moving over there anyway. The reason the king probably didn't want them moving any further west of the Alleghenies was it was easy to control them 
within the Far East Coast was easy to protect them from the Indians, quote unquote, in the Far East, as well as it kept the land west of the Alleghenies prime for English development when they decided it was time because they certainly weren't going to let the Indians have that forever, right? They're like, sure, you can have your land now, Indians. You can do what you want with it over there and hang out across the mountains. But eventually, and definitely George knew this, had feelings about it, and a lot of the colonists had feelings that eventually the English were going to push over the mountain and take all the prime land just like they did on the East Coast. So they wanted to get that land for themselves. So the colonists started openly ignoring the British government and began to move over the Allegheny Mountain into current day Pennsylvania, Ohio. And that was pretty much, I think, in my opinion, the seeds of the American Revolution where people in the Americas felt okay openly disregarding the British, perhaps. I concur. Yeah. Well, all right there. Indians. What's that? still call them Indians. Native Americans or what have you. The indigenous people of the Americas. Oh, man. You know, at least we didn't like... What, build a pipeline (laughs) through their shit? (laughs) And then have one not too far away from that one actually rupture and start spewing oil into a local stream. Oh, we treat them well, though. I don't know what they're complaining about. Yeah, we give them some land still and they can have casinos. It's fine. It's more than I get. I'm kidding. Like Cleveland Indians. We named our silly cartoon character mascot. How can you not have, by the way, so the Redskins is a no-no, but the team called the Indians with Chief Wahoo, that's okay. It's not. Well, the, <laughs> the, real, the really messed up thing about the Redskins is it's not like calling their skin red, really. That's not where that name comes from. They don't. Native Americans aren't a red color, (laughs) but what that term comes from is that you used to like be able to take some Indian scalps and take them into a general store in the colonies, later America, and get some money for your redskins because scalps are bloody after you cut them off of a person's head. So that's where, that's why like, Redskins is my God. That's even just more racist, a little more messed fucked up, up than a, I originally yeah, a more messed up than Chief Wahoo. Oh my God! Just stupid. I don't like Chief Wahoo, but I'm a Cleveland Indians fan because I'm just not that good of a person. Much like why I will never become a vegetarian. Fair enough. And with that said, I want to play a little a classic tune. I'm ready to commemorate to. Show how much in this country we've given to our indigenous peoples. Is something supposed to be playing? Is this a is this a silent protest? You, you there? Just you there? Hello. Did I lose you? Can you hear me? Yeah, I didn't get a, I didn't get any of the song. No, that's okay. It wasn't it wasn't as good as I thought. <laughs> it was a Peter Man Peter Pan song uh, titled "What Makes the Red Man Red." 
Oh my God. And it's just mostly, uh, they say how a lot, how, and, oh yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty racist. Like Walt Disney shit. Yeah. I don't know why they can't just accept that we're honoring them with our sports ball. Like, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) The fighting Irish don't get mad at Notre Dame, which was founded by Irish just a bunch of drunk fighting Irish. Yeah. Oh, well. small leprechaun hands, big feet, long feet, I guess not necessarily big, but long, unnaturally long feet, hands always in a fist. Yeah. That's all the, the leprechauns I know. That's all I have to say about that. Well, I'm going to go let you get your to your little Christmas party there, your ugly Christmas sweater party. Yeah, it's going to be pretty good. Balls in the fam. It's going to be all kinds of crazy folk. Kind of wish I was there. Damn it. Yeah. Where are you? I'm in Pittsburgh. Okay. Well, I guess uh, you have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, my friend. Keep Christ in it. Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye. Washington, Washington, six foot eight, weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine I mean two sets of testicles, so divine On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land With the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands Here comes George, in control Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll Eight opponents' brains And invented cocaine He's coming, he's coming, he's coming Washington 